And uh, uh, now, we, according to our pa- pattern, what we've been doing is since Isaiah is so long, we take a little break and do something else uh, to give a little variety to the class. And in, in discussing last week what we did with Isaiah 26 and 27, it occurred to me how important the attributes of God are. Uh, something you always know but sometimes it's necessary to have your memory jogged Um, but also uh, I have to know what kind of person God is or I don't know how to live with him I don't know how uh, he acts how he's going to function and so uh, I want to start with um, the spirituality of God Uh, the um, so the goal is to understand the nature of God better. This sentence has been called the, the finest description of God ever penned by man. Um, it's from the Westminster Confession, Catechism. When, when uh, you were teaching your children uh, the faith, you would uh, teach them the Catechism, and there were questions and the answers, and they were expected to learn, I suspect, the, not only the statements, but also the, the, the scriptures that support them. Uh, so this was the point of the catechism. Folks, I don't, I don't suppose I refer to this in every course, when in, in beginning Hebrew, I probably don't refer to this. <laughs> okay. But I, I refer to this statement over and over and over again. This is my 38th year of teaching uh, formally, and um, I suppose I've referred to this every semester that I've taught. Um, occurred to me the other day, if this is my 38th year, this is my 76th semester. That I, it just makes me tired. <laughs> but... but um, I would propose to you that you would do well to memorize this if you don't already know it. Um, It comes in so valuable over time, and I want to talk to you about it for a few minutes before we turn to the spirituality of God. But my my purpose, my goal, is to follow through uh, today's uh, God is Spirit, next week, infinite, the next eternal, and the next unchangeable. And what I want to do is to uh, talk to you about the definitions of the terms and show some biblical justification for that. And then I want to turn to a major passage where the attribute is, is uh, functioning. What, what does that mean? What does it do to people who understand God uh, in, in such a way? We have a professor at the seminary. He's <clears throat> nearing retirement. He joined the faculty when I was in the doctoral program. I never had a class with him. He was in the theology department. I was in the Old Testament department. But when he came, his name is uh, Lanier Burns. Dr. Burns um, brought a new way of teaching theology to the seminary. Uh, always we'd get an outline and you get the the, the theological concept you're going to discuss and the biblical proof of it and then some kind of discussion of it. Does this make sense to you? Dr. Burns gave that material out, but he would always stop and talk about 
a passage of scripture where that theological concept was significant and show how it functions in the word of God and in the life of the believer. And that was a, that, I, I wish I had had some courses with him, but it, it, it infected me. So when I started teaching theology in Memphis, I did the same thing. And folks, there were times in class we just had to stop and pray. Um, one day, uh, there, we, we had a good number of African-American students in the class, in, in the college, being in Memphis, you would expect that, and, and we were delighted to have them. But one day, one man got up and started walking across. He was in the back corner and started walking across the room, and I thought, he's got to go to the restroom or something. And uh, He got to the door and turned around and walked back. And I thought, what is going on? And he walked across the room again and walked back. We went on a little while, and another guy stood up, just stood up. You know, okay, if you want to do that, that's fine. I just, what's happening? The, the, the second guy was a man I knew well, uh, John Smith, Jan. And, and um, after class, I said, John, what was happening? He said, we couldn't, st- we couldn't sit still. We had to make some kind of a, a response to this. And uh, this is the kind of thing that can happen when you tie good theology to texts of Scripture, not just a reference that proves this is a category for God, but something that uh, you see how it starts to work in the life of people. Does this make sense to you? So this is what I want to do for the next four weeks, and then we'll go back to Isaiah. And once we reach Isaiah 34, we'll come back and do some more of the attributes. Are you with me here? So the, the, the question in the catechism is, what is God? Uh, Rather, actually, the question in the catechism is, who is God? I think that's unfortunate because they say this is the finest definition of God. You can't define God. To define means to set boundaries. To define something, you identify the, the, uh, the genus it belongs to and then define the species of that genus, and you rule out other things that in that same species that don't belong. Does that make sense to you? And that's, that's not an option with God. All we can do is describe him. Right? And we describe him in terms that he has described himself. himself. Uh, but in the catechism then, I would change this not from not to, not to say who is God, but what is God. Um, so how can I describe him? <clears throat> and the answer is, God is a spirit. And I here again, I would make a slight change. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. When the Westminster theologians penned this, they, they explained it this way. Spirit is a reference to the um, substance of God. And we'll, we'll say this uh, shortly. Um, uh, God's uh, spirit is God's substance. He is not a spirit. He is spirit. Are you with me here? You will say God has substance. And yes, <laughs> as early as Augustine, 4th century uh, AD, uh, Augustine, I, I don't have a quotation from Augustine here, but 
what's on the screen is completely consistent with Augustine said, with what I can't stop trade. <clears throat> we didn't come to church this morning to confession. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Uh, um, uh, since Thursday night, I've been in class 20 hours. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not a little off my feet today. <laughs> so my, I, I washed my mouth this morning, can't do a thing with it. So <laughs> uh, uh, this is what Augustine would have said if he had said it the way I'm laying it out. He said it more, be- more better. He said it more better than I can say it. <laughs> Pray for me. We- yeah, that's right. <laughs> Everything that exists has substance. If, if something exists, it has substance. We think of substance, the only substances we know are material substances. But there are other substances. Uh, there is angelic substance. Yes? Do angels exist? Yes. If angels exist, <clears throat> they have to have substance. Do they have flesh? Is, is their substance material? No. But it's spiritual substance. Does this make sense to you? So when we refer to God as spirit, the first thing that we need to say about him is that this is his substance. This is what he is. Are you with me here? Substance is what gives a being the capacity for action. So I can, my, you have mind, and mind is not flesh. Yes or no? Yes. The brain, the brain um, survives, briefly, death. In, in ter- the brain survives death. That is, the brain's still there. It doesn't cease to exist at death. The mind does. Are you with me? Yes or no? The physical part's there, but but not whatever it is in us that does the thinking, our person. Um, so our spirit has de- has departed. We, you see, when I look at this description of God, and I may not even get through all this today, but when I t- look at this description of God, I can turn it and make it also to make some changes, and it will be a description of humanity. Humanity is spirit and flesh. Finite, uh, uh, finite, temporal, changeable in our being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Jesus, as God, is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. But as man, he is spirit and flesh, Finite, temporal, and changeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. So I read in Luke 2 at the end, Jesus grew in wisdom. I'm sorry, Fred? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've puzzled over that for decades, honestly, I, since the 70s. And I, I still don't know exactly the distinction between soul and spirit. Yes, sir. I don't want to take us down the rabbit hole, but I understand your point about Christ. Um, yeah. Um, your wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he, he and, and in favor with God and man. So he's growing. It, at, at 
in the manger was Jesus obedient? Was he disobedient? No. <laughs> in the manger, he, he was neither because obedience entails understanding the will of somebody else and, and conforming to it. And in the manger, he doesn't, his human mind cannot understand the will of anybody else. Uh, Jesus lives, Philippians chapter 2, that famous per, uh, passage, turn there, Philippians 2. We may have to prolong this a little bit. <laughs> Are you going into kenosis? Yes, okay. precisely. Philippians chapter 2, famous passage, it's been called the kenosis passage. Um, I'll tell you shortly here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there are some theologues here who... Uh, yeah. Um, the, the passage starts in verse 1. <sighs> Do tell. <laughs> but you see, I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, and I'm, I know great and wise things most people don't know. Uh, verse, verse 5... <laughs> verse 5 is meaningful because of verses 1 to 4. This Philippian church is a marvelous church. There's hardly any problem in the church. Paul is writing them to commend them. But he is, he is urging them to go on more and more in, what, in, in the way God is, is growing them. And he says, if there's any comfort in Christ, I'm sorry, if there's, do you have encouragement? In Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any compassion and mercy, make my joy full by being of the same mind, uh, having the same love. And I don't know how to how to read this next word. It would a paraphrase would be fellow sold, um, but what do you have? You. United in spirit, united in heart. Well, that's before that. Oh, this is before that. Yeah. Being of one. Well, yeah. Yeah. So this, he wants them to have a, a spirit of unity. And thus, he goes on at the end of verse 2, having the same mindset. Uh, doing nothing out of strife or envy uh, or, uh, or, or vain deceit. But in lowliness... Um, King James says, preferring one another in love. The, the idea is um, estimating others as more excellent than oneself in love. Um, uh, let no one do uh, 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 be concerned only about his own concerns, but about the concerns of, of, of the other. Let this mindset be in you that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus had this mindset. Are you with me here? Um, and so, and, and Paul, this is in, still an answer to your question. Uh, who, though he was in form, God, did not, and, and the translation of the next line is open to various approaches. I think the way it should be read, the, the way I would read it is this. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be uh, uh, held on to. Yeah, grasped. The, 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 the idea is he didn't press his own prerogatives. 
he, he could, by right, have stayed in heaven, yes, stayed uh, with the full revelation of his glory, but he chose a different route in response to the will of the Father. And then I come to verse 7, where we have problems. Uh, the King James says he emptied himself. Um, what do you have? He emptied himself. Yeah. The idea here is, is difficult. How, what does it mean he emptied himself? A number of years ago, uh, in chapel at seminary, we were singing one of Charles Wesley's songs, uh, And Can It Be? What a wonderful song that is. The, the, yeah, the, the, uh, there are about 15 verses to the thing. We only sing about three of them. <laughs> but one of the verses said, He left his father's throne of love, so free, so infinite his grace. The next line is, emptied himself of all but love. And I was, I love that song. I love the, the music is great. The words are great. Everything is just great about that song. But I looked across. We, at that time, we were on a platform, and we, the faculty looked at each other <laughs> as we sang. And one of our theology profs uh, was not singing on that line, emptied himself of all but love. And he picked up with the next, uh, and, uh, and, and bled for Adam's sinful race. And that happened to be a Thursday, and we have uh, chapel, and then right after chapel we have um, a faculty meeting on, on Thursday. And I, I chanced to be next to him as we were walking to, ch- to faculty meeting, and I said, I noticed that you didn't sing on that line. Were you catching your breath? You know how you, you, sometimes you have to swallow, you have to, Yes? So you stop singing, not from any uh, motive. Of the, he said, I always catch my breath on that line. <laughs> uh, the implication of that, although perhaps not Wesley's intent, but the, 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 the implication of that is he gave up all his attributes. He can't. That's not possible. An attribute is something that defines the essence. Okay? Um, God doesn't have a spirit. He is spirit. Are you with me? So I, I now see we're not going to get where I thought we were going to get today. Uh, so what is it that happened? One of the best explanations of this I've ever found is in William G.T. Shedd's Dogmatic Theology. Uh, when I joined the faculty at Dallas uh, in Memphis, the president called me in one day and he said, Jim, have you read Shed? And I said, no, sir, I can't understand Shed. I had had a set of Shed's systematic dogmatic theology in the past and I couldn't understand it. I traded it for uh, some other things. And, and um, uh, he said, well, if you're going to teach theology at Mid-South Bible College, you've got to read Shed. I thought, no, oh, oh, no. So I left his office and went down to the bookstore and I thought, surely they won't have a set there. If they have one set, I won't buy it because that was the major Bible uh, bookstore for Dallas, for Memphis in those days. And so um, I won't buy it. Being generous to somebody else, though, I'll let them have it. There were two sets. <clears throat> and, and, and I hope that my attempt at an imitation of Dr. Crichton was all right. But... <laughs> Uh, he knew he and, and uh, Linda knew Dr. Crichton very well. Were you his secretary, Linda? No. Okay. 
Uh, but uh, uh, there were two sets, and I took it back to my office and, and started reading Shed. I had learned enough at Dallas Seminary by the time I got there to Memphis that I could understand Shed finally. But, but in dealing with this concept of what's called the kenosis, the word translated, he emptied himself there in verse 7 is the word kenao in Greek. The noun, that's a verb, and the noun form is kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. Um, in dealing with this passage, Shed made this comment. It was very important. In the incarnation, Jesus determined to reveal through his human nature only what was necessary of his divine attributes. Uh, this is hard for us uh, to, to think about, but some of the attributes of God are voluntary and some are involuntary. Um, uh, in hell, nobody is experiencing the love of God. It's a voluntary attribute. They are experiencing the righteousness of God and the justice of God. And the, are, are you with me here? Yes? But, they, but those things are not voluntary. They're involuntary. The very nature of God is to be righteous. Yes? Thus, the power of God is subject to his will. Would you grant that? Does he work? by his power, always the same way everywhere in the world in all history. No. You've never seen a Red Sea parted. Yes? A Red Sea parted. You've never seen that. So that happened in history, but you've never seen it. So God, God has his power subject to his own will. The work of Jesus, do you remember Matthew uh, chapter 12? Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin. You remember this? Yes, no? Move your heads. You may not know that it was 12. Take it by faith. It was 12. Okay? Now, do you remember this? So, what is the unpardonable sin? It is blasphemy of the Spirit. Blasphemy of the Son is pardonable. Why? Why is blasphemy of the Spirit not pardonable because Jesus in doing his miracles is not acting by his own power he is determined not to use voluntarily those things that are subject to his will everything he does in dependence upon the father in John he says the son cannot do cannot do anything of himself only what he sees the Father do. What does cannot mean, mothers? Can I go to the movies? What does cannot mean? No, you can, but you may not. (laughs) Yes, did you not say this? My mother said this. (laughs) Uh, Can is about ability. The Son has determined not to use his divine prerogatives when it is up to his will. It is impossible for him not to be righteous. Yes? What does he mean in Matthew 24 when he says, Of that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels of God or even the Son, but only the Father. What does that mean? 
Jesus learns. His mind is a true human mind. Are you with me here? As a true human mind, he has to have revealed to him what, what, is, uh, what supernatural knowledge comes to him. Does this make sense to you? Right? So uh, when Jesus does a miracle, it's not his power that's at work. It's the Holy Spirit's power that's at work. If I looked at Jesus in the incarnation, I would have seen a man. And not a particularly remarkable man. Remember Isaiah 53.1? Um, he's not a particularly re- remarkable man. Uh, Bruce Waltke defined at least, or, or translated the latter part of 53.1. He had no dash. He was not a dashing man. He, he was just a human. And he wouldn't have been voted most likely to see, succeed in his class. Um, so Jesus submits his mind, his human mind, which is finite. Do you follow me? Does, isn't he still infinite? Yes. But a human mind is not infinite and cannot hold infinite knowledge. Are you with me? I, I see hands, and I'll get to you shortly, but I want to get through this discussion. Um, so through the, through the, um, uh, the miracles... It's the Holy Spirit that's working. Here, here Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Uh, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. For no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. Nicodemus and his sect, the Pharisees, all knew this was the power of God in him. Are you with me? So to, to say Jesus is just a man is pardonable. But to say that the power of, that's at work in Jesus is the power of Satan is unpardonable. It's clear and obvious the only conclusion you can draw through the miracles is that it's God who's at work in him. So in the incarnation, Jesus has given up the voluntary use of his attributes are you with me here his his human being is finite temporal and changeable his human wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth are um, finite temporal and changeable does this make sense to you I, I, Fred, I, let me take an order I've got f- five now Fred Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> uh, but but this is one of the reasons we need modern translations on a regular basis because language changes. And it doesn't communicate as well. King James is a marvelous, magnificent translation. It, it's a magnificent achievement of those guys working with the limitations they had. It's astonishing that they were able to do what they did. But for 
for the 17th century, that was fine. As it's been revised for the 19th century, (laughs) it was fine in the 19th century. Um, The New King James is a good revision. That's great. But we still need to revise these things. Uh, Paul? Okay. Uh, uh, Jim. Uh, Tom. (sighs) Steve is Richard. Tom is Jim. So... (laughs) Yeah. Blue-eyed, yeah. Guy. They wouldn't ask who is Jesus. That's right. The assumption is he looked like every other yeah. guy. Yeah. So, and if you are a Roman and you're not particularly concerned about these Jews, they all look alike. <laughs> yeah. um, there was a hand over. Yes. Um, I'm just kind of confused. Did Jesus set aside this um, ability to act on his deity? Prior to the incarnation, or when with was, with the incarnation. So he was thinking in the moment. I am choosing to lay mm-hmm. aside yeah. the ability yeah. to act on right. deity. So as I've said in the past, <laughs> away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Right here's Jesus in the manger, and he sits up, and he says, "Hello, mother." Hello, no. No, he didn't say that either. <laughs> Thank you. I, if I thought about it, I'd have done it. <laughs> Hello, Joseph. I cannot call you father. I have one father, even God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they shall... did, he, did he do that? No. Why? Because he's a baby with a baby's uh, cap- mental capacities. He will, he will not allow to come into the mind of the baby what the infinite mind of God has. Uh, uh, Glenn. Um, what you're dealing with is that our, our faith is that in Jesus, Jesus is both truly man and truly God. Yeah. And you're dealing with the issue of how to combine <laughs> person, or is it one person? Yes. Two natures, nature yes. of God and nature of man. Yes. That Yes. Right. To some degree, uh, it's a misunderstanding because the Western Church was working in Latin, the Eastern Churches were working in Greek, and and there was a. I have a book at home that I've never read. I need to read it. I got it in 1987, and I, I've never read it. But it's by a. It's by a. Um, oh. Well, you don't care. It's by an Eastern theologian from India. Um, and he's saying a lot of that discussion is simply breaking, breaking down over the, the meaning of the Latin word persona. What does that mean? We get our word person from it. But, so, yes, but it is, that's the point. We're talking about is Jesus one person or two persons? Is he one nature or two natures? He's one person with two natures. They wanted to go a slightly different direction, and they didn't. the The, the Latin speaking and the Greek speaking churches, the, the Greeks used hypostasis, and the the, the Latin speaking church used persona, and they weren't 
they were talking past each other to some degree. So it was an unfortunate uh, division that didn't need to be made, but it's forced by the language. Jen? I think now I understand. He could, he, if he was infinite, he could not have died. That's right. That's exactly what yeah. I mean. And, uh, yeah. and eternal would be the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so he has to be changeable and finite. Yeah, Paul? Yeah. But he wasn't fully man in the sense that he didn't have our flawed nature. But that's not essential to human nature. So man meaning the physical man. Yeah, well, yeah. Sin is not essential to the human nature, and we know that because of Adam and Eve. They're created without a flawed nature. They're created with full capacity to do what God commands. They chose not to, but... So, so human nature by, its, by itself, as it now is constituted, is, is fallen. But that's not what humanity is in its essence. See, So, uh, uh, so sin is not a, an inherent part of it. So he, he is truly a human. Uh, yes. Uh, uh. Yes. Yeah. Well, he knows <laughs> uh, my roommate when I was a freshman in college was a junior. And the guy understood people. I never have. People don't make sense to me. I don't. I, I, I'm understanding it better now. I guess the years with, uh, with, of experience and so on have taught me some things, but. As a young man, I didn't understand people. My, my roommate was two years older than I, and he understood people. And he would tell me things, and I'd think, how does he know that? I would see that it was right, but how did he know that? And he just understood people. Jesus had an inherent understanding of people. He, he knew what was in the heart of man. The, the point, there's much more going on in John 2 than that. Um, uh, but um, uh, he, he has this equipment from God. Everything he knows, he gets revealed to him from the Father. Can I ask one question? Yes. Um, I think it was Warfield that said he voluntarily restricted him. Mm-hmm. But so as a baby, he had a baby's mind, I understand. But when he disappeared, from Mary and Joseph, and they found him in the temple, and he's talking with. Yes. And he was beyond his years at that point, and it, he said, "I it, must be about my father's business." Yeah. Well, not, no, that's not what he said. In fact, um, what was he doing with the le- asking the leaders questions. asking questions? His questions were so insightful. Yes. He, folks, as as an infant in the major, he has no uh, capacity for thinking yet. That has to develop, and it will develop. As a two-year-old, I've never known a perfect two-year-old. I don't know what it would look like. We'll yeah. never see one. Yeah, and we will never see one. <laughs> uh, the, but he's a perfect two-year-old, but he's a perfect two-year-old. The capacities of a perfect two-year-old are substantially beyond a fallen two-year-old. Yes? 
and the capacities of a five-year-old are beyond a two-year-old, yes? And an unfallen, a perfect five-year-old is light years beyond a, a perfect unfallen two-year-old. By the time he gets to the temple, he has understanding that 12-year-olds don't have. Why? Because he's not hindered by sin. He can think. As he reads the scriptures, um, um, Shed talks about a, a concept called intuitive knowledge. He distinguishes that from innate knowledge. Um, we are built, we are, our minds are built with certain intuitive structures. They're, they're inherent in our, the, the structure of our mind. We're not surprised that we exist. Nobody has to teach you. Now you exist. I do. Oh my. I, I didn't know that before. Yes? Nobody has to te- teach you the, the, uh, the uh, cause effect so that you can act upon it. In the crib, we do, we do stupid things with children. We put busy boxes in cribs until, until we have to take them out so that we can sleep. Yes, but, but the busy box has a bell on it, and the child is thrashing around in the bed, and hand hits a bell, and that's an interesting effect. What is that? And, can't find it, doesn't know what it is, doesn't know how to do it again, and thrashing around again, and he hits it again. And maybe the third time the child hits it, the child is actually seeing, ah, it was that. And my hand did that. Ah, wow, that's neat. I wonder if I could do that again. I don't know how to do it. He does it again. And, he, and then he does it again, and then he does it again and again and again and again, and you move the busy box out of the, out of the crib. <laughs> Uh, later we tell the kid there's this concept called cause effect certain events cause other events oh well sure yeah I know that I learned that in the busy box yeah (laughs) you don't have to tell a kid I'm sorry you have to define for a kid that one plus one equals two but if he has one and you give him two he knows he has more than he did before. Yes? So when you put a definition on it and say 1 plus 1 equals 2. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Okay, sure. Does that make sense to you? Uh, there's, these are intuitive ideas that are, are built into the structure of our minds. And there are, there, there's one other critically in, uh, important intuitive idea that God exists. You have, to, you have to reason hard to try to get rid of God. There's a guy named Budzishevsky. <laughs> have you heard this name? It's B-U-D-Z-I-S-E-W-S-K-I. He was a... Pro- tell it not in gas, shout it not in Ascalon. He was a philosophy professor at Texas University. But... Uh, <laughs> um, he said, I was, a, I was a materialist and an atheist. And he said, it comes as a surprise to a lot of intellectuals that there are certain levels of folly that you can only reach with great intellect. He was, he was struggling trying to figure out 
from his materialism, which told him, nothing you do matters, nothing is significant, it's all simply chemicals in the brain, nothing is significant, but he loved his wife and his children. And how can I justify loving my wife and children and my materialism? He, he wrote his dissertation, I don't know where, on this materialist philosophy. He became a Christian, he, he became a Catholic, and he's, he's written, he's, a, he's an apologist and has written several books along this line, but he's, he's recent in our lifetime that he was down at UT. Um, but, but that's the point. Folks, there are thir- certain kinds of folly it takes enormous intellect to achieve. <laughs> are you with me? And only a man like Budzashevkin, <laughs> whatever, uh, Maybe Stasek and Asha can pr- pronounce his name better than I. But <laughs> Budzyshevsky, only he could achieve the kind of struggle of materialism and loving your wife and children. And that was part of what broke that uh, loose, and, and he was able to move on to at least some form of Christianity. Am I making sense to you, Richard? No, it doesn't. But well, and, and intellect isn't a great issue. Wisdom is. Yeah, Richard. Do you think it's possible that in Jesus' incarnation, that since he was subjected to the power of the will of God, the Father, mm-hmm. that you could say that he, in his incarnation, gave up part of his authority? Yes, he he, he chose not to use his authority. Did he know he had it? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm thinking of the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, he's certainly trying to negotiate here. (laughs) Is he? Well, I don't know. I thought so. Yeah. He's he's speaking the the outcry of his soul. But deeper and more important to him was doing the will of the Father. John chapter 4, he's at the well at Sychar, and the, and the disciples are gone right into town to get something to eat. He talks to the woman. She leaves. The disciples come back, and they say, eat, Master. And he says, I have food that you don't know about. Who, who got him food? Who, who, somebody bring him something to eat? My food is doing the will of my father. And so for him... Doing the will of the Father was was a deeper need. Uh, in this respect, observe the the issue of Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow, yeah, Maslow's hierarchy. The the most basic level Smith is biological safety. Okay, I've never heard it put that way. Um, thank you. That helps. Uh, biological safety. But but deeper than that, in reality, not in our own approach to life, but in reality, deeper than that, is doing the will of God. Um, what what puts us into death? What the, the the aspect of sin that puts us into death is that we think the most important thing for us is biological safety. Thank you. That's a great term. I need that. Um, that's the most important thing for us. I'll sacrifice anything for, for biological safety. But I can't 
that means I will sacrifice God too. You see? And I cut myself off from life. I have to be dead. It's, it's, it's not that God is uh, saying, okay, I'm going to put you to death. And put you. We, we are in death because the deepest need of our soul, perceived deepest need of our soul, is not doing the will of the Father. Advanced, advanced yeah. pursuits yes. until the lower mm-hmm. needs are all satisfied. Yes. Christ basically turned that He on turns it upside down. Yes. Yeah. So, no, I don't need that yeah. first. Uh-huh. That's do. right. So um, when we talk then about Jesus, I think this this has been really helpful to me to, to have you help me think through this. I hope it's helpful to you too. Yes. Yes. I didn't get through the full exposition of the of the uh, of the description. Let me do that right now. Thank you for for bringing us back on point here. Talking about Jesus is essential because he's God. He's man. How do we work this out? How do these attributes fit with him, etc.? Yes. So, by the way, how often does Scripture say God is love? Yeah, it does. Yeah, about twice. (laughs) Hundreds of times it says he's holiness. So everybody says, well, God is love. Yes, that's true, but he's also holy. (laughs) Are you with me? So when when when, when the Westminster theologians explained this statement, they said, Spirit is, and I was starting on this when we got into this necessary uh, discussion. Uh, Spirit is the substance of God. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable are the incommunicable attributes of God. These are attributes that no creature can have. Okay, I cannot be infinite. By the fact of being a creature, I have uh, I have boundaries. There was a time when I was not, and there is a time when I am. So that puts a boundary on me I cannot transcend. Uh, so infinite, eternal, and unchangeable are incommunicable attributes. The others are communicable attributes. When I talk about when they talked about wisdom, they don't talk simply about wisdom, but all of the intellectual attributes of God. Um, his omnip omnip. <laughs> <laughs> omniscience for example and wisdom both fall under this category power uh, here they would talk about his not only his ability to do things but his authority to do things because there are different kinds of power yes All right. when you come to holiness they talked about the moral attributes of God and it would, uh, it would uh, when, when they came to justice, then they would talk about his uh, righteousness, etc., and his action in justice. There are, I, I have determined there are about five different ways that God exercises justice. Um, when they came to goodness, these were the mercy and love uh, here, uh, and then uh, truth. 
So these were rubrics under which other ideas are subsumed. And that's where love is in this. Yes? Mm-hmm. But there is, but the human body was created to to live forever. So we're we're not eternal, but we can be immortal. And and uh, uh, we'll when we get to eternality, we'll dis- distinguish the two. Um, I, let me give you a little heads up on that. Um, a number of the definitions that I will use come from. Um, um, Burkhoff, what's his? Um, Mister, yeah. <laughs> Burkhoff, B E R K H O F. Lewis Burkhoff, thank you. <laughs> uh, Lewis Burkhoff, his systematic theology, and he always starts: Eternality is that perfection of God by which He possesses the whole of His experience, whole of His existence in one indivisible present I don't I remember lots of things I don't remember lots of things <laughs> yes I don't know what's coming I, I've told the joke guy fell, fell out of the 20th story window and at the 10th story somebody said how's it going he said so far so good <laughs> so <laughs> How's it going? I'm doing pretty well right now. <laughs> I don't know what's at the bottom of the, of the fall. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't have the fullness of my, my existence in one indivisible present. Mine is quite divisible. Yes? Uh, past, present, and future. Correct? Or better, non-existence, past, present, and future. <laughs> Yes, so the the uh, so that's immortality. Uh, that is immortality would be escaping the penalties of death and the and the terrors of death. But this eternality is a different thing altogether. He has life in himself. Jesus says, and the Father has given to the Son to have life in himself. Well, if. If Jesus is God, doesn't he have life in himself inherently? But the Son is the title of Jesus in the Incarnation. Um, Turn to John 1. I've talked to one of our profs, a classmate of mine, who is a theology prof and teaches Trinitarianism, and he says, what I'm about to say is wrong. So file it under that heading, okay? (laughs) Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Jesus. Pre-incarnate. Yeah, good. Pre-incarnate. Now, where does the, look down through the passage? Where does sonship come in? When do we get the word son? Where? Verse fourteen. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father. Only begotten from the Father. The, the word son isn't there, but it's implied. Uh, when does that become a legitimate title for Jesus? Can't hear you. Yeah, in the incarnation. Do you follow? Yeah, in verse 18 it shows up. Thank you. Um, but it's, it's not used until after the concept of the incarnation is introduced. So, have you ever wondered why I have... Um, look, look, at, look again at verse 1. I, I, have to, I have to point out something to you that's not clear in English. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the God... And the word was God. The two are, are not the same in, in Greek. The word was with the God. Who is the God who the word was with? The Father. How come he's not called Father? And how come we don't have any other title for the Spirit than the Spirit? Because I think the three persons, proper titles within the, tem- uh, within the Trinity should be the, the God, the Word, and the Spirit. In the Incarnation, God takes on the role of being Father of the Son. But He is not Father eternally because He is not the source of the Son's being. That is, the God is not the source of the Word's being. The Word is God. Uh, we will... I have time to do it. Um, I don't have anything to do it with. Don't, don't bother. We only have four minutes. Can see in your mind, draw a circle and put a triangle within it. And in the excluded parts of the circle, put Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? The triangle represents the essence of God. This is what we're describing. The essence is... Uh, where the the essential attributes are. Essential essence, yes? So, how much of the essence does the Father possess? All of it. How much of the essence does the Son possess? All of it. So the Son is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. That is the, the word, as John uses the term. The word is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He cannot have a source. He cannot have a cause of his being. The cause of his being is the, the necessity of who he is. Am I making sense to you? No. Well, the word didn't come into being. Well, that's creating the human nature. That's, that's all. That's a, so the word... Yes, but of the human nature, not of the divine nature. Does that First uh, John five seven and eight deal with that concept? Possibly, I, I can't remember what they are. Says, uh, there are three that bear oh to no, <laughs> uh, sort of. Uh, there's more going on there than I have time to deal with in two minutes. The the, the point is that the Son has all of that. That is, the Word has all of these. The Son determines to use only what are subject to his will. I'm sorry, he, he determines not to use what is subject to his will. He must be righteous. 
But he need not be omniscient as a human. The, the divine person reveals to the brain, to the mind of the, to the human mind, only what is essential for his functioning at any given time. So his supernatural knowledge, um, the, the son cannot do anything from his se- from himself. Good grammar. Uh, uh, then his and the son doesn't even know the day of his return. How can this be? He's God because he's also man. And the divine source of his knowledge has not revealed that information to his human mind. It's it's one minute. Yes, and that's that's a good yeah. Gave up his divine privileges. What translation do you have, Jerry? Okay, yeah. Uh, this is why we need more translations. It, it's frustrating, but that's why we need them. Well, we've got a good start here, and and uh, I'm sorry to put off those of you who are still raising hands. We'll we'll pick up with this next week, and we'll talk about what difference does it make that God is spirit. What does it mean? And what difference does it make to us that God is spirit? So let's close with prayer. (sighs) Father, we have revealed how hard it is for human minds to understand you. We'll never really understand you. We'll know truth about you. But it's so hard for us to grasp you. And then you did this marvelous thing of sending Jesus in the world. How do we understand him? How do we even work this out? And think about him. Uh, Father, in knowing you, we have eternal life. That knowledge is not facts in our brain. That knowledge is a relationship with you. But we can never have a relationship with anyone unless we know truth about them. So, Father, how can our relationship be sound with you if we think that you're other than you are? That's idolatry. So help us purify our minds by your word so that we may think of you as you actually are and as you you have revealed yourself in your dear Son, our Savior, and in your word that you've given to us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.